you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Hey, hey, this is Melissa, and I'm pleased to say... <laughs> yeah, this is Dane. Yeah. Hey, I missed you. Give me a kiss. I missed you too. <laughs> yeah. I had to do a whole podcast episode without you, and it was lonely. I didn't like it. Well, I had to go help out our son-in-law, uh, Corey. Corey, yeah. Uh, he has uh, inherited a house in Missouri, and uh, that was a lot of fun to be with him and Jackie. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I may ask you more about that fun, because it, it was two days of crawling under a house built what year? Probably? In the know. 50s, yeah, probably? Yeah. Probably built in the 50s. Sweet house. And Corey and Dane spent... Uh, two days crawling underneath the house to look at plumbing pipes and electrical and sewer and everything else. So it didn't sound like I missed much. Right. It was, yeah, it was still fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's fun being with him for sure, for sure, for sure. So that's great. And we say congratulations to Corey and Jackie for having that house and working on that house and bringing it back to life. And I know they're just going to have quite the project on their hands and really enjoy doing that. Our son, Kevin, and his wife, Paula, moved into their home in Houston. Yeah. And they threw their first little family get-together. Yeah, right? for, uh, for Paula's father. Yeah, for it Paula's his, father. Yeah, it was his birthday. Yeah, so it was sweet. So they barely moved in, and they went to Ireland. Paula's a hairdresser, and she was hired by this extraordinarily beautiful woman to come to Ireland to do her hair and the wedding party's hair for her wedding in a castle. And so <laughs> Kevin and Paula flew to Ireland to do this woman's hair, and she looked like a supermodel, just a gorgeous bride. And Paula did a fantastic job on her and they had a good time in Ireland and then came home to their new home to quickly unpack so they could have this party for Paula's dad. So that's great. And we wish a happy birthday to Lilo. So then Cody and Kathy, we had dinner with them last night. They're here in Denver. They bought a house in Cave Creek, Arizona, and they've just moved into that. And they came up to Denver on their trips. They're professional cyclists and they're on their way with their team to Montana to start their circuit of mountain bike racing for the summertime. So it was so fun to be with them last yeah, night. That was, that was a good time to see them. Yeah, really good to see them. And we again, it's just been amazing to me that all three of our sons have moved into new homes within about 45 days of each other. I know. That's it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just strange how that all, all, all kind of unfolded. So while you were gone, I did speaker camp. I spoke about that in my last podcast. I do a training each year for people who want to become better speakers on stage and in podcasts, et cetera. And it was so much fun. And you missed out because their speeches at the end of the program are always such a treat to listen to these impactful stories that they tell. And the improv, I'm telling you, my sides hurt today from laughing so hard at their improvisational speeches. Those were really fun. Maybe I need to take that as well. So, Well, I was going to suggest that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. Husband and wife teaching each other stuff. I don't know. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't go over. 
doesn't go over. Let's put it this way. I would not crawl under a house with you teaching me anything about the pipes under that house. Let me tell you that right now. So yeah, no, I think one of the secrets to our happy marriage is our friendship. And part of that friendship is predicated on you not teaching me how to play golf. I don't teach you how to ride a horse, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's all good. All good. We had while you were gone and I was sleeping alone in our bed, we had storms every night, which is great. We need the moisture, but we had one of those lightning storms that was right over the house. And Colorado has more lightning strikes that touch the ground per capita than any other state in the nation. I don't know why, but we do. And there was a lightning strike. I don't know if I told you this. You just got back last night. There was a lightning strike on our property, but there was also one next to our friend Bethany's house lit a bush on fire and the fire department had to come put that out. So it was scary. I I had our own house when I was probably about six years old was struck by lightning, started our house on fire. So I'm always a little scared about it. So what happened, you don't like the dogs sleeping on our bed because we have large Bernice Mountain dogs. One's 125 pounds. The other one's about 80 pounds. And that lightning started over the top. They both started shaking and they jumped up in bed. One snuggled to the left side of me and one snuggled to the right. And all three of us just shook and listened to that storm <laughs> together, but we, we were going to die together. So we're right in there. And um, I love that they're not, you know, they're not barkers and they're not vicious in any way. They're just sort of like, hey. Afraid. They're afraid. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, I think if somebody broke in, Hanya would take care of it. I'll, I will say that. She's a tough, tough, badass girl. So she she would take care of us for sure. So we are recording this on a very special day. It's not going to play on this day, but we wanted to make sure we acknowledge Memorial Day. And I know that Younger people and several people in our country celebrate Memorial Day and think of it as a day off from work. Think of it as a day for barbecues. Think of a day for the family to gather. Think of it as a extra long weekend to go see friends. Lots of different connotations for Memorial Day. However, we do know the day was created to honor our veterans and just slow everything down and take a little bit different twist on that and celebrate Memorial Day. Are you up for that topic? Of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. You know, your father was a veteran and my father was a veteran. And yeah, yeah, my biological father was a merchant marine, but I didn't ever thought about him as a military person at all. But my beloved stepfather, who I really think of as my dad, was a captain in the Navy. He was decorated many times over, had a presidential commendation and just a fabulous career through several wars, right? Through as a young cadet, Korea, and then through World War II. And he actually captained the first ship to go through the Panama Canal. And he'd talk about that once in a while about how little space there is from one side of that canal to the other for one of those huge ships to go through. And then later in Vietnam, and finally home to have a very prestigious job on the San Diego uh, Naval Base. And I think the thing that I remember the most about his career 
is how well-respected he was, but also how well-liked he was by the men who served under him. And his name was Captain George Andrew Church. He was originally born and raised in North Carolina and then served on the western side of the United States, actually had a home on Coronado Island, where you and I have our little condo. And he and his two sons and his wife, prior to marrying my mom, lived in Coronado for many years. When my mom and he got married, they lived in Escondido, and he went on to have a golf career. So he changed completely out of the Navy uh, upon retiring from the Navy. But I totally remember him in his dress whites, just so handsome. He had thick silver hair. His guys that served under him gave him a wood plaque that said the Silver Fox and that hung in his ship cabin and his office for many, many years. I miss him greatly, and his commendations and his medals were all for, mostly for strategy, for being a really good strategist. And I will not understand, hopefully I go to heaven someday and I sit in the orientation. Don't you hope there's an orientation? I do. I do. I do. I do. Because I'm going to have my hand up. And one of the things I want to understand in the orientation in heaven is, excuse me, but he died of global aphasia, which is a neurological disorder that takes the brain from the outside capacity of the brain all the way down to the brainstem. So they lose speech long before they lose comprehension. And it is just a horribly sad way to die. It takes you all the way down. But it took his ability to be strategic and logical away first. And I always wonder, because my mom being an artist, and she went blind. So I don't understand how those things work. And I would definitely have my hand raised (laughs) to find out the answer to that and many other answers, by the way. That could be a fun podcast. What what will you ask God in orientation? But but, but definitely, we are uh, just so grateful. And our hats are off to all of the people that serve today and that have served in the past. You know? Well, 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I was getting there, dear. Right, right, I was right. getting there, dear, but I wanted to honor my dad in that way first. So my brother was in the Navy, short in, in Vietnam, on submarines for three and a half years. He got out early because of a Corpus Christi, Texas, got hit with a hurricane that wiped out the Navy base. And so they had no choice but to let all the people that were serving there go. So he got out early. Uh, not his choice of careers. It was not something he really spoke about or, or talked about enjoying a whole lot. But then we're kind of a Navy family because I want you to share a little bit about your dad in yeah. the Navy. Good old James. If you haven't heard that episode, good old James is a yeah. funny, funny episode. He uh, decided to go into the Navy. He told me because he was hungry. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, and also to serve his country, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. he uh, went into the Navy, I think, uh, just a couple years prior to the end of World War II. Did that. And then after World War II, he uh, got out of the Navy and really couldn't find a good job or anything. And then went back into the Navy and uh, served, you know, later in, until I was a young man, you yeah. know, so. And he'd speak about it. I mean, he came at 83 years old. He'd sit at our kitchen table and one of the, all the stories he most wanted to share in the end of his life were his Navy stories. Yeah, that was his, 
like identity. Yeah. 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 It was very sweet. And that's where his brain during his dementia years, that's where his brain took him more than anywhere else was sleeping in the bunks on the ship and just different things that he remembered from being in the Navy. And he was, he was probably one of the rowdy guys that my dad, the captain had to discipline once in a while. Yeah. (laughs) He was one of them that went, you have to go back to the ship. You got to quit drinking and go back to the ship. So Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But he remembered that so much. Yeah, when you said your dad shared with you so that he could eat, that really touched my heart. My sister-in-law, my brother Brett's wife, Sally, grew up in Alabama in an impoverished family. And she joined the Navy. That's how they met. They met when she was serving the chaplain in the Navy. And uh, I remember asking her why she chose to join the Navy. And it was to have clothes that were not hand-me-downs. For the first time in her life, she had Navy-issued underwear, you know, all of it, clothing issued to her that were not hand-me-downs from someone else. So I think there are a lot of people that go into the service for different reasons, but some of them because their family life and their prospects are just too rough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just too rough. We have an incredible graduate of my program. She and her husband, Nancy DeSantis, and her husband, Rich, they have this incredible program for veterans in New Mexico, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And one of the things when Nancy first graduated, she was heading out to do her beautiful work that she now does for the last 12 years. But I I was saying to her, Nancy, remember that when you're sitting across from a veteran who might be exploring the emotional trauma they went through in service, in combat in particular, remember that prior to enrolling and prior to coming into the service, they too had a family and they too had a family of origin that maybe why they joined the service was escaping that family if that family was not high functioning. So many people have dysfunctional families and we laugh about it. Sometimes we meet the people that put fun in the dysfunctional family, right? But there is a lot of trauma And that's certainly what she's had validated. Some of them, their life was painful, like your father's. Their life was painful before they went in the service. And it's kind of what called them to serve. Touched by a Horse offers three comprehensive programs, giving you the ability to have the career you've always dreamed about, working in partnership with the magic of horses. Our equine facilitator program provides you with the skills to build a thriving business, hosting group experiences with horses. Our equine gestaltist program prepares you to open your own private gestalt practice in partnership with horses. And our master equine gestaltist program builds your gestalt skills both in and outside the round pen. All of our programs include in-depth live classes, business growth training, and a supportive community of herd members to collaborate with and learn from. Visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com to learn more about which program is right for you and your healing herd. So how about the equine and then, serving? Well, I was just going to yeah. say on the on the human front first that I sometimes wonder, like I used to wonder, what's the percentage of people who serve in the military? Because 
you and I go to Coronado right next to the Navy SEALs training camp and in the heart of the Navy on that side of the world. I think you come from Norfolk, Virginia, right? Didn't you tell me that's the number one port for the U.S. Navy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the largest huge. naval base in the country. In the country, right? I can't, I've never been there. So right. we'll have to go there sometime. But all of the ships and getting everything from restocking to repaired and all of it happened there in Norfolk as the largest on in the world, largest for us in the United States, I should say. That's on the eastern seaboard. And then on the western seaboard, and I think the second largest port for the United States Navy is there in San Diego. Right, right. And so interesting that you're born and lived in one, and now you're in your old, old age at the other one. Yeah, barely making it. Barely making it. Well, I'm older than you, so I can tease you about your age. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Yeah, and just seeing seeing that every time we go to Coronado, seeing that it's easy to be reminded of our patriotism and our gratitude to the men and women that serve in the military, all branches of the military. And it's less than half of 1% of people in our country serve in our military. And I... I I think I lose sight of that. I think it's more, I feel like it's more people, but it's not. It's it's that less than half of 1%. And when you think about what good they do and what they stand for and who they are and what their mission is to serve, it's quite humbling. Oh, yes, yes. Really quite you humbling. You know, I think the percentages may be higher uh, back in the days of the draft. Oh, well, yeah. Back in the, Vietnam. The, the wars, Vietnam, sure, sure. Uh, World War II. World War II, but, everybody yeah. went, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, Korean War. Historically, yeah. right. I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. Historically, it's been larger right now where technically at peace. <laughs> it's a little, little, little strange, but technically at peace. And I think you're probably right that it really changes. And we think about the purpose of defending our homeland, defending our country. And I personally, I look at with huge humility, Ukraine and what President Zelensky stands for and what he's done and what he is doing and how that really is to protect not just Ukraine, but all of democracy, all of Europe, all of all of all of that. So I, I've never really understood in my own soul, I'll say, the purpose of war. You know, it's a hard one for people to wrap their mind around. You know, sounds innocent, but I feel like the Coca-Cola song back in the 70s, you know, how can we just can't all get along and and live our life in peace? Aren't there enough challenges by mother nature and everything else without us arguing? But you asked before we came online and I said I'd like to do something for Memorial Day, you asked a really important question in our world, which is horses serving in the military. So I admit I Googled it because I really wasn't sure. I have something that I do with my students that I wrote, that I created, that is a huge respect and sensitization for horses between our spirit and our species and theirs. And I call it my apology to Equus. And it starts out with everyone standing around a round pen with a horse in the round pen shedding light. And I start by saying, we have ridden them to wars and they were our wars, not theirs. You know, we've asked so much of horses through the 
hundreds of years that they've been in service to mankind. And that's always one that really takes me back is how many horses have been saddled up over the centuries to be ridden into battle, to be ridden into wars all over the world, been ridden into wars and most times, many times losing their life or their health because of it. And they weren't even their wars. They're fighting toward another person on another horse. And I wonder if those two horses looked at each other like, I don't know what we're doing and I don't know why we're doing this. And I don't understand what this is all about. And I have no bone to pick with you, fellow equine. And yet I'm being asked to do this and I will be in service to my humans. So it's interesting. But currently today, we have 176 horses who are formerly in our military. And they're in Fort Myers, which is Virginia. And they're- Is that Virginia? Yeah. And their purpose is- more for parades and pomp and circumstance, right, than anything else. And when we think over the years, you know, it was a beautiful horse that carried President Kennedy's casket through the parade, you know, that kind of thing. And so they're brought out for a totally different purpose today. But it was such a good question because I thought, do we have horses in our military? I know we have a lot of them in our police forces and our sheriff departments across the country. And they are some of, again, the most courageous horses that people, policemen in particular, ride into riots or ride around towns to keep things peaceful and keep things calm. And their training is way outside the norm of other horses training. And instead, they're really trained to deal with humans at their worst, at their very worst, where they're trying to harm each other or they're trying to, you know, do harm in some way in a riot, etc. And so, gosh, there's many horses that serve you know, in that way too. So interesting how many things these beautiful horses have done for us in our lives. So now there's a, uh, a lot of horses that are serving along with their humans to help with the tragedies of people's lives and stuff. Trying to. Trying well, to- true. In our EGC horses, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So our EG horse, EGC horses are serving. They are our partners. As I mentioned, Nancy DeSantis in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in their program, they have several horses. And the veterans who enroll into uh, her and Rick's program there, they are everything from a soft, confidant, partner to hear the veteran's story and to shoulder and shelter their pain, all the way to many of their people in their program learn to ride for the very first time in their life. They learn to move cattle. They learn to repurpose their vision and repurpose themselves into a whole new different way of being Uh, on the planet and with horses in that special way that horses do. So absolutely. I mean, every day they're serving as partners to our EGC for people with cancer, for people who are going through a tumultuous divorce or loss of family member, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, they, they definitely partner with us and serve us well. I want to close with kind of an off-subject thing today, kind of a different thing, but something I was struck with. I speak a lot, and my last 
podcast, I gave you an update on how our beautiful little Gracie is doing. Gracie is our miniature mule who was best friends with my favorite animal, Bitsy, who passed away, and Grace has been truly lost ever since. And I told in the last podcast a little bit about how she has forged a friendship in what we call our Littles Pasture, which is about 10 acres bordered by um, some beautiful pine trees, and they have a lot of space. And we have our two alpacas out there two little minis that were sent to me by a friend and and the two mini donks, one of which now has passed, that was Bitsy, uh, and Archer, who's the other donk's best friend, and now Gracie. She's kind of the third wheel in their little triangle. But I was on the phone with the human partner of Tiny and Archer, and I'm encouraging her, her name is Sandy, and I'm encouraging her to write her thoughts down and possibly even write a book. And the wisdom I believe that Sandy has is Sandy's now living in independent living in an apartment instead of on her farm, not with animals other than her beautiful little puppy. She has an 18 month old, adorable little puppy, but not with Tiny and Archer, not with Peaches, her beloved horse that was her partner for many, many years. And Sandy is unique in that many of us love our animals, but Sandy loves, loves her animals. Like she makes a lifetime commitment to her animals. She loves them as we would our child. She loves from the deepest part of herself. And when she backs and puts her love behind an animal, it's a hundred percent, whatever that animal needs in its life, whatever it might be. And I have the utmost respect for her. So as she, the time came and she felt like she was being called to make this decision to lessen the physical responsibilities of her life and to let go of her home, Peaches had passed and Tiny and Archer were there, but she needed to move her own physicality to this apartment. Wasn't possible to keep them safe, healthy, happy, all of that. I had made an offer and she sent them to me. So today she said something that broke my heart for her. And I, I hope I helped her reframe it. She began to cry when we were on Zoom and she shared with me, she said, I can't forgive myself for what I did to the boys. The boys are Tiny and Archer. And I was really struck by it. Sandy knows that those two little beings are super happy here. Out in our littles pasture, they get tons of love and food and medical care and whatever they need. They get all of that. And she knows that. It, rationally, she knows that. However, I wonder how many people, and I think it's a good awareness for all of us as we get older, transition into what the human has to do for their higher being only to say goodbye to animals that they truly deeply love. I mean, I am not so arrogant as to think my own day won't come for that because I keep bringing new animals in all the time. So I, I don't know how I will personally handle that. But I do want to say what I attempted to reframe for Sandy is that in her case, it's not what she did to the boys. It's what she did for the boys. So she chose their well-being over her own. She chose their happiness, their safety, their care, their everything 
over her own ability to maybe go 20 minutes to see them and pet them and feed them and, you know, be with them for an hour, which she would love to do. She knew that the other 23 hours a day, or if she couldn't do it frequently enough, that they'd be very lonely and very susceptible to a not so good life. So she chose what she knew would be a really great life for them, sending them here to a little bit north over convenience for herself to be able to get her heart filled once in a while, but at what cost? At their cost. There wasn't a a decent place near her that she felt they would be loved and safe. So I, I, my hat's off to her. I, I, I love her for choosing the animal over her own well-being and her own heart. And she knows that they're having a life of Riley here. They're having a good life here, but she's brought up a, uh, something I think we all should think about. If you're listening to the podcast and you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, good on you. But if you're approaching your later 50s, 60s, 70s, and you have animals in your life, please do keep animals in your life. To me, that is longevity of our life. And animal people don't ever want to get rid of our animals. But be conscious of, if something happened to me, what would happen to my animals? Make conscious choices about that. And the reality and popping out of denial of what will that chapter look like? And how can I move into that old age chapter and still have my animals have the best chapter they can, you know, all of this. And it probably touches my heart really deeply because my beautiful dog, Hanyol, who's a Bernice mountain dog, she's turning four years old next fall. She's healthy. She's beautiful. She's loving. She has just already captured my heart and my soul was willed to me by my friend, Lisa, who passed of lung cancer. And Lisa was diagnosed and knew she had lung cancer when she bravely brought Hanyal as a puppy into her life. And before doing so, she called me and she said, I don't know, am I doing the wrong thing for this beautiful animal, knowing that most likely I will pass before she does? Am I doing the wrong thing for her? And I assured her, when the time comes and you cross, we will take Hanyal and give her the best life that we possibly can. And I feel very fortunate that Lisa chose me for that purpose. And and Hanyal feels as close to us as any burner that we've ever had. She's just an incredibly beautiful animal. So I guess I'm just saying we all need to be conscious of that no matter what your age is or where you are is if something happened to us, where do our animals go? Who do they go to? And what's the best transition sometimes that we sacrifice our own heart Uh, and our own stuff in order to do what's right by the animal. And that certainly includes when it comes time to say goodbye to them as well. So, all right, on that joyous note, thank you, Sandy, for bequeathing your beautiful boys to us. And thank you across the veil to Lisa for that as well. We want to thank Hope Through Horses. They're a partial sponsor of our podcast. And we thank them very much for all the good they do for Touch by a Horse for sure. Okay. So like, I like doing these podcasts with you. I don't want to do them without you. I love doing them with you as well. (laughs) (laughs) For that matter, I don't want to do life without you. So we we have a commitment. You are not allowed to go before me. Well, I hope it works the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed. I think, I think we need to Thelma and Louise when our time comes. So that's it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, all right, everyone. Blessed to be. I hope you had a good Memorial Day and we'll look forward to meeting with you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303-440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.